Hey, good morning and welcome to Live Oak Community Church Online. Make sure you stick around till the end of the message because we're going to give you some details how next week, June 14th, you can be part of online services and or in-person services here at Live Oak. If you would like to come to a service at Live Oak, June 14th will reopen. Stay tuned to the end. We're going to give you details of how you could be part of that. Well, today we're starting a new series called Best Summer Ever. It's a study of Paul's letter to the Philippians found in the New Testament. And it's, it's really timely for this season we're in. Paul was writing a letter to them that when we read Philippians, Paul was writing to them while he was in quarantine. He was under house arrest. Uh, excuse me, he was under arrest in Rome. Like He was quarantined. He was locked down. And a lot of things in his life were not going well at least from the outside perspective. Yet when he writes this letter to the Philippians, he speaks of joy and of peace and of contentment. He was living his best life, even though his life around him was not going well. Philippians has tons of insights in for us how our best day ever, best summer ever, best life ever, has a lot less to do with what happens to us and a lot more to do of what we let Jesus do in us and through us. It's going to be great. And I love Philippians because it deals with a lot of the issues that I wrestle with. I struggle with anxiety and worry. I tend to zoom in on my problems and lose focus on the fact that God is in control and, and God's promises. I get so focused on issues of concern that cause me worry and anxiety. It happens with my family. I worry about my family, and, and, and I worry about uh, friends, and I worry about finances. I worry about the church, this whole process of helping Live Oak navigate this. A lot of us on staff and in leadership have worried. And, and I, just to be honest, like I struggle with worry, worry um, in, in a significant way. I have most of my life. I've grown a lot, uh, but it's been a struggle for me. And I wonder if I'm alone in this. If I'm, if I'm the only one that's worried, then maybe this doesn't affect you, but at certain seasons of life, we all have this experience where life hits us pretty hard or it threatens us pretty hard and our anxiety spins and we lose focus of who God is. But what if we approach life differently? What if we were convinced that God was with us and he was in control even when life seemed out of control? The, the reason I, I love Philippians is it addresses so many of those. But even before Philippians was written, 10 years earlier in the book of Acts, we read where Paul in Acts 16 and a friend show up in Philippi and we learn how the church actually got started. When he writes to them in the book of Philippians 10 years earlier, Paul made a trip there. And in Acts 16, um, we read this in verses 6 and 7. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they wanted to go to Asia, and God said no, and he redirected them. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they're trying to go one place. God says no, he redirects. They try to go another place. God says no, and he redirects. And he leads them to Philippi. 
And then what happens next? I'll just tell you the story rather than read it. When they get to Philippi, they meet this lady named Lydia. And she comes to be a follower of Jesus through their interaction with them. And it's the first follower of Jesus in Philippians. It's the start of the church in Philippi. And she says yes to Jesus. And so they think, man, God must be wanting to do something here. Let's see what he, else what he has for us. And so they start going around the city and they meet this slave girl. And she's causing all kinds of problems for them. She's causing this commotion and she was actually possessed. And she actually, because she was possessed, could tell the future. Or, or people thought she could, maybe she could, couldn't, I don't know. But she was making a lot of money for her owners. And she kind of starts harassing and distracting people who are around Paul and Silas. And so they heal her and set her free from being possessed, which is good news for her, but it's bad news for the people who made money off of her. And this is where things start to spiral out of control for Paul and Silas. It says this, verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain, cha-ching, their chance to make some money, was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disrupting our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So basically they say, these guys messed up our business, but really it's bad for our city. It's not about us, it's bad for our city. And they said, they're Jewish, we're a Roman and they're breaking our laws. Actually, Paul was a Roman citizen, and later on in the story, that comes out, and they're, they're in big trouble for what they did. A lot of times, people just assume Paul wasn't a Roman citizen, but he was, which means he, he, he um, got certain pr privileges through the process. He got no privilege here. It goes really, really bad. They make their case, and the crowd follows. Here's what happens next, verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison, like, like the, the, the most secure spot for the worst criminals. What do these guys do? They healed somebody that cost somebody some money. In the inner prison, and they fastened their feet with stocks. The problem with that is when you're in stocks, what it would do is your feet and your hands would be locked and you'd be kind of sitting in this upright position. It strained your back. If they had bruises or cuts from being beaten, which they probably did, it was extremely painful. You could not stretch. You could not move. It was an uncomfortable position. You couldn't sleep that well. They were treated like the worst criminals ever. And at that point, they had to be asking, did we get it wrong? Like God did say, don't go here, don't go here, go to Philippi. Like, did, were they questioning that at that, some, that point? I mean, God led them to this place, and at first, one person said yes to Jesus. And then one, they heal one person, and then the whole town turns against them, beats them, racially profiles them, uh, falsely imprisons them, treated like the worst criminal. And now they're locked up. 
They can't do anything. They had to be asking, God, is this really where you wanted us? And so it gets to the point where the whole story changes at this point. The next verse is the hinge of the story. You know what a hinge is, right? A door and, there, and, and the door frame. The hinge is the thing that allows it to turn. It's that little piece. It allows it to turn. This is the place where the whole story turns a different direction because they make a different choice, and it's different than I would have made. And in verse 25, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were, and I'm going to pause there. So it's the middle of the night. Emotionally, they're wounded. Physically, they're literally wounded. They're locked in a prison. Things seem pretty hopeless. And it's midnight, and late at night, our mind can do some crazy things especially if it's midnight in a prison where you don't belong. You know, a helpful way to read the Bible, especially with stories, is to put yourself in the story. And so if I were to put myself in this story, it might say, about midnight, Doug was worrying. Doug was complaining. About midnight, Doug was questioning, did God really lead me here? About midnight, Doug was looking for any way out. About midnight, Doug was having a pity party. About midnight, maybe Doug was sleeping, just trying to escape from it. But they made a different choice. Look what they did instead. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They made a different choice. And it's the hinge of their story. Everything turns at this point. If they had not done this, they could have been stuck in prison and stuck in their own misery, worrying, angry, questioning, frustrated. It could be the hinge for our story too. What do we do when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel stuck, alone, we're questioning, we're afraid, we're worrying, we're complaining? See, our circumstances can become the chains and the prison for our lives. Bad stuff that happens can be a prison. They can be handcuffs. But there's a way out. And it's what they did. Mark Batterson says it's a little bit different, differently. He says it a little bit differently. And the question is, think about where's your focus when things go bad? And he says there's really two options for us. One is to zoom in. The other is to zoom out. You know how like with a camera, like if you're trying to take a picture, you can zoom in and get real close or you can zoom out and get kind of a wide angle. It's that kind of approach. Zooming in is zooming in and focusing in on what's wrong with my life or what's wrong with the world. And I bet right now there are some things in your life that you feel are wrong and you're probably right, but they're not good. We could zoom in and have that be our focal point. We could zoom in on some things that are wrong with our world. There's a lot that's wrong with our world right now. We all see it. Or we can zoom out, which is to go big picture, um, 35,000 foot view, step back and make sure that we're looking on something bigger, focusing on who God is and the big picture of what he's promised he will do. 
of his track record of what he's done. See, we need to make the intentional choice. I need to make the intentional choice to zoom out, to step back, to acknowledge, hey, there's something in my life that's wrong, that's painful, that's hard. But then I need to zoom out and realize where that fits in God's big story and in his promises. I need to zoom out and focus on who God is rather than zoom in and focus on what is wrong with my life. Mark Batterson says it this way, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. See, sometimes our problems can cause us to focus on that and we miss the opportunity to worship and praise our God. They didn't miss that. About midnight, they were praying and singing hymns to God. They were focused on who he was in the middle of their circumstance. To focus and to zoom out on who God is, we focus on the cross, that he gave his life for us. So he's invested in us. He cares for us. We matter to him. We can focus on him as our creator. He created us. He's invested in us that way. We matter to him. We can focus on the fact that God's in charge, that he has all the resources, that he has a track record of giving, that he's our guide. He's a giver. He's a father. He's with you. He loves you. He forgives you. He gives himself to you. There's all these aspects of who he is that if we don't focus on, pull out and zoom out and focus on him. We will zoom in and focus on our problems and God seems a lot smaller than he really is. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heavens and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. When we zoom out and we focus on who God is, and instead of focusing our eyes or looking down at our problems, but we look up and lift up our eyes to God and say, he's my creator, he's my savior, he's made everything. That's where my focus is going to be. See, what we need to do is we need to flip the lens. We need to flip it around. See, a lot of times what we do is we look, have you ever used a telescope or, a, or a, a binoculars? When you look at it, it makes things that are really far look really big and really close. But if you turn them around, it makes things look really close, look really far. And what we tend to do is we tend to look at God through the lens of our circumstances. And when things aren't going well, God and God's truth and promises seem very small. But it's a distorted view. But when we look at our problems and our challenges and our world through the lens of God's truth, and we flip it around and look at it the right way, suddenly we see things clearly. Yes, clearly they're wrong. Yes, clearly things are bad. Yes, clearly things are hard. But God is bigger than my problems. And he will get me through. He can be trusted. We need to look at our life through the lens of Scripture and our understanding of who God is. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't know if I would have made that choice, but I need to. So let me ask you these questions. Where are you today? How is life? What's hard? What's challenging? What's weighing on your mind? What keeps you up at night? What prompts you to zoom in on that as a problem and lose sight of maybe God's promises or God's faithfulness or his character? What are you focusing on these days? 
And how could you be very aware of what you could zoom in on and worry about and what you should zoom out on and focus on God's character? See, when you make that choice to zoom out and focus on God's character, you make this choice that with God's help, I can change my focus from my biggest worries to the bigness of God. And God is a big God with a great track record, but it seems small when we look at it through the lens of our circumstance. When we zoom in on our problems, we can lose sight of who God is. Many of us are really good at listing our problems. I want to challenge you this week to start listing God's character, making notes about who God is, the promises about his character. Even better than that, even better than that, make a list of knowing his character firsthand. Be in a relationship with God, not just a student of him. Live this week as if he's with you. And I think that's what Paul and Silas knew. That in, six, in verse, chapter 16, verse 25 of Acts, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I don't think they thought they were making a long-distance call. I think they really believed that God promises he's with them. He, they believed that. So they thought they were singing to the God who was with them in that circumstance. That he had a plan for them. And this was the hinge to their whole story. How will you do that this week? When you feel locked in by your circumstances, a heavy weight of what you're going through, when something in the world is challenging to you and you're weighed down, how will you focus on who God is and turn your attention to him? It's the hinge of their story. It could be the hinge of your story too. And the choice you make here will make all the difference in what happens in the rest of your story and the outcome. And let me give you two things that I think were very important in this one little verse. I think this was easier to do for them because they were in it together, Paul and Silas. I wonder if it was just Paul or if it was just Silas. If they would have been a little bit quicker to zoom in and worry, complain, and just get stuck in a bad spot. But I wonder if being in it together, the book of Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We're better together. Community matters. We talk about it all the time. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I think when you're in something together, it helps you get your focus on the right place. If you have the right friends who focus on Jesus as well. It's important to note that Paul and Silas were in this together. And I think that helped them make that choice. The other thing is, I think Paul and Silas were in there together but the thing is, as they were singing and pr praying uh, to God, the other prisoners were listening to them. As they made this choice, I bet they were thinking, what in the world are those guys doing? They've been beaten, arrested. They're in stocks. They're in a worse cell than we are in prison. How in the world could they pray and praise their God? The other Prisoners were listening. There was an impact on their lives. They took note of how they followed Jesus. Your life can and will 
impact others. The only question of, is what kind of impact will you make? See, my choice about midnight to pray and sing hymns to God impacts those who are listening. So does my choice about midnight to complain, worry, or get stuck. Your life has impact. You were created to give, have influence. In a world that is fearful and seems unstable, imagine the impact of those who follow Jesus who chose to live differently. Could you choose to live differently in your life and live in such a way that you'll live by faith and not by fear? That you remind those around you that Jesus is right in the middle of your situation? Can you choose to live differently to be someone who has an impact and points to others to his presence and his promises? not just in their life, but by living it out in yours. See, their story, Paul and Silas's, impacted prisoners then. And it still impacts people today as we read about it. 2,000 years later, their story still has influence. This summer, let's let Paul's letter to the Philippians still have impact today on our lives. We're going to read it together. But let me tell you the rest of the story. What happened after this? What happened after this is amazing. They're praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners are listening. Suddenly there's a great earthquake. The doors of the prison swing open. The prison guard, the jailer we, we read about earlier, who was put in charge and said, take special care of them, assumes that when the door swung open, they ran away. But they didn't. They said, hey, we're still here. And the jailer came in. And he had heard them singing and praying to their God. He saw that they had the opportunity to be released. If they had gotten away in a Roman jailer, if the prisoner escapes, it's a life for a life. You lost a life, so we take your life. He would have been dead, and he was about to take his own life. And they said, we're still here. And he was so taken back by their God, by their faith in Jesus, that he gave his life to Jesus. And he and his whole household became followers of Jesus. And the start, along with Lydia, the first convert, the start of this church in Philippi, where 10 years later, Paul would write them a letter, Philippians. And this summer, we're going to read the letter he wrote to this church that started out of this whole experience in the jail with some amazing insights for us. And I can't wait to study that this summer. It's a thank you note he wrote to them because they were partners in ministry and has tons of helpful insight. I can't wait to explore it together. One way you can do that is by studying it on Sundays and starting next week, online or in person. But another way you can do that is you can sign up and the link should be, uh, sign up form should be showing up in the comment section. We're going to do version reading plans. I'm going to be part of it. I encourage you to be part of it. We'll break up into groups, so there'll be a small group of people who are reading together. You read it every day. You comment on it through the YouVersion Bible app. Please sign up. I'd love for you, us to study, not just on Sundays, but all summer long, because I think Paul really could help us figure out how to have the best summer ever. Because it's a lot less about what happens to you and a lot more about what Paul learned was the secret of peace, of joy, of contentment, and of living life a big faith, with a big faith and a big God.